listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. and welcome to episode 31 of Footprints on Our Hearts. Today I've got a special interview with Karen Burgess, the Chief Executive and Founder of Petals, the baby loss counselling charity. We talk about grief, counselling and therapy after pregnancy or infant loss, some of the dark emotions that go alongside this and how the support Petals offers is different from more general counselling that might be available in your local area. And I really enjoyed this interview with Karen. She's got some really wise words to say. And I kind of thrown a bit of my own experience in terms of sort of mental health and trauma and and all those kind of things that I felt after we lost Sky last year. Um, So I hope you find the episode really useful. Um, I know I found it useful and interesting um, chatting to Karen. And in the podcast, Karen talks about how Petals have adapted their ways of working during the COVID-19 lockdown and moved to more online counselling, which is a fantastic idea because previously um, Petals was quite geographically based around sort of Cambridgeshire in the southeast of England. But now, but since lockdown, they've been supporting couples all over the country and they are hoping to expand this support and to be able to to continue to do that. Um, And they recently launched a Petals Pioneers campaign, which is a specific campaign to fund that service to provide more online support um, sessions to parents all across the country, um, which I think, and, and when you hear Karen talk about the support that Petals provides, you can hear how it's really different and bespoke it's bespoke to baby loss and it's different from, um, you know, if you went through your normal NHS channels, I guess, to access counselling, um, what kind of support you might get. So if you are looking to make a charity donation at the moment or do some fundraising, um, I'll include the link, the direct link for that in the show notes. And I think one of the things I really loved about chatting to Karen was how passionate she is about baby loss support and you can really hear it in her voice it really comes across how invested she is in her work and has been for you know well over a decade now um, and in supporting bereaved parents so she really is a true champion of baby loss support I also want to give a big shout out to Hayley Ike's mum this week Um, for being my latest patron um, of the podcast. Thank you so much, Hayley, for your support. And thank you to all my patrons who are helping to fund this podcast and help me cover the costs to to keep things running and keep things going. If you would like to support um, the podcast, you can do from just a few pounds a month at patreon.com slash footprints on our hearts. And I will offer a slight warning (laughs) um, because Patreon charges at the beginning of every month. So if you join up 
in the next week, you might get charged two payments in close succession. So I just wanted to make you aware of that in case you know you felt you wanted to wait until the 1st of September and sign up then, uh, which I think is only a few days away. So yeah, if you're listening to this next week, then you can go and help me keep the podcast running and help support the show. Um, and I really, really do appreciate that support. It really does help me realize how important and valuable the podcast is to people um, when they're willing to back it in that way. So thank you very much to my patrons. And let's get on with this fantastic interview, which I've got for you this week. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Karen Burgess, the Chief Executive and Founder of Petals, a baby loss counselling charity here in the UK. Welcome to the podcast, Karen, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Well, thank you, Alison, for having me. It's a pleasure. Brilliant. I know many people listening will have heard of Petals, but for those who haven't, could you start by telling us what the aim and purpose of the charity is? Of course. So, um, yes, we are a charity that provides specialist counselling for parents who suffer the devastation of of baby loss. So that could be an early loss, um, miscarriage, all the way through to a full term stillbirth or a neonatal loss. Um, And the aim of our work is to help parents. We work with individuals, so mums, dads um, or couples. And the aim is to help them to process their experience of loss from a psychological perspective. Um, And our our overall aim as a charity is to provide a national counselling service um, because we know how much it's needed. Fantastic. And you founded Petals in 2011. What was your experience of supporting bereaved parents prior to that point? And why did you decide that Petals was needed so it's it's quite an interesting story, actually. Um, in 2009, I was given the opportunity to to start to do this work. Um, I, I've been a counsellor since 2000, um, and I have worked in many, many different areas of counselling. Um, and I have worked in the private sector, worked within the NHS, worked within education. Um, in 2009, I was offered the opportunity to join the team... Um, at the Rosie Hospital Addenbrooke's in Cambridge and the the purpose of that role was to set up a counselling service within maternity services to support parents who were having you know the the, experiencing the tragedy of loss uh, you know the parents who weren't having the the joyful outcomes that everyone associates with maternity services. Um, Now at that time um, that was a whole new idea to provide psychological support for 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 those parents the the roles the counseling roles within that area didn't exist and i think the reason they didn't exist was because actually no one was really acknowledging that they were needed that 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 parents were suffering so much emotionally or if they did know that they were just as as we know far too well just sort of pushing it under the carpet and and not wanting to address that so the, the head of midwifery at that time recognised this need and decided she wanted to do something about it. And so she went to great lengths, actually, to create my post. She took 
um, she managed to negotiate money to come out of other areas of maternity to fund a post for two years. And the idea was that it was a full-time post. I would work very closely alongside the bereavement midwife and would be there to help parents at the time of loss um, whilst they were in the hospital. And then I would be able um, to support them once they'd gone home. So they would be invited to come back in to regular counselling sessions with me um, for, you know, two or three months after their loss. Um, it was a service that established really, really quickly because the need was clearly there. The, the, the thing that struck me most was how the clinicians, the consultants and the midwives were just so grateful to have somebody in that post because um, it was them who was having to deal with the emotional fallout from these parents. And you know, with the best will in the world, they, they just couldn't do that. And their, their role actually to support people physically was 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 what they were paid for, what they were there for. And so it was always a problem for them um, to have parents, um, particularly those who, who were very um, emotionally needy at, at the time of loss. So the role um, was, was welcomed and embraced by the staff. Um, and I, before I knew it, I was, you know, rushed off my feet, really, um, uh, chasing around all sorts of different departments, picking up people who, you know, might have suddenly been given some really awful news. Um, and it had a profound effect on me. I think I, that I can't sort of understate that, really. It, it really, really had a profound effect on me because I had no idea I had no idea that parents were suffering in this way. Uh, I think like most people, I thought that stillbirths were a very, very rare occurrence. Um, I certainly didn't know anything about the whole kind of area of termination and choices that parents um, are offered during pregnancy if um, fetal um, abnormalities are identified or there's questions about the baby's health and whether the baby will live. I, I didn't realise parents were being offered those choices. Um, and I didn't realise that so many women were um, miscarrying babies, um, you know, post 12 weeks. I mean, so many miscarriages happen after 12 weeks, where most women think they're fine once they've got past that 12-week barrier. And a miscarriage at 16, 20 weeks is a very complicated process. It, it means delivering delivering a baby that's not alive. So all of these things um, I had no awareness of. I also had no awareness that um, in the delivery unit at the hospital, uh, Addenbrooke's Hospital, like every other hospital, um, where, which was where I, Addenbrooke's was where I'd had my babies, um, I didn't realise there was rooms the other end of the corridor that were specifically designated for those parents whose babies weren't alive and were going, those parents who were going to deliver babies um, that had already died. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of blew my mind, really, that there was there was all of this distress and tragedy that was going along, going on alongside the most joyful um, experiences of, of, of men and women's lives. Um, you know, it really struck me that sort of parallel process that was going on of new life and death side by side. Um, and, you know, the challenge of that for staff 
um, to, to, to cope with that, to see midwives literally go from one room where they delivered a baby that's not alive into the room next door where they're delivering a healthy life baby. You know, that's just, you know, so difficult for parents, uh, sorry, for, for, for health professionals to manage. And yet they do and they manage it without a fuss. They just get on with it. So, yeah, as you can probably tell, I'm passionate about the work and, and you know, I, I could see the need and it was my pleasure um, to and my honour, really, to be able to fulfil that need. And what I saw was that the work was just, you know, completely embraced by the parents just to have somebody who could sit down with them and listen to them and 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 help them through those times and then be there for them to come back to to talk about this and to feel that there was something there was a lifeline there for them to hold on to when you know I think for any parent having to go home from a maternity unit without their baby that is just an utterly utterly you know well heartbreaking um experience so to know someone is there waiting for you to come back and you can talk about it I think is really important I think it's amazing that the you know the head of midwifery recognized that and sort of pulled all those strings and and made that happen you know to create that post what happened then at the end of that because I guess that two years was a bit of a trial period for the service it was a trial period and um it it would it went wrong basically because she was moved on to greater things, um, you know, as, as it always happens with the good people. <laughs> it's always the most thing, isn't it? The people you really want there, they do a great job and then have to go and get promoted or something. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So she was moved on to greater things and it kind of left this, this, this lull then about, you know, who was going to take a decision about what happened with this service. The, 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 the lady who was eventually brought in to, to fill her shoes um, she just didn't get it really she just didn't understand that need um and she also was under pressure for to put money into other areas particularly to you know the, there was a need for more midwives at that time it was 2011 was the time of a bit of a sort of financial crash so yeah she had she was quite open with me and said you know I'm sure what you're doing is really valuable but I can't continue to fund that post um so it has to go um, so that, you know, I had four weeks to shut down the service and, um, you know, clear my desk and go, which was um, pretty devastating in itself um, for me personally, for my job. But much more importantly for me was to, to walk away from this work because it had, you know, it had changed me and I knew it had, had really helped so many people. So there was there was no choice for me, really. There really was no choice other than to find a way of continuing it. And I started by trying to do the work privately, um, but that was very clear that wasn't going to work um, because health professionals can't easily refer to private practitioners. Um, you know, there's all sorts of reasons for that. Um, and so I wasn't, I didn't have access to the parents. Uh, and we had this ridiculous sort of situation where midwives would be sneaking my business card into mother's bags as they were leaving the hospital saying don't tell anyone I've given you this you know but talk to Karen because she'll be able to help you it's ridiculous um so I eventually I I sort of had this sort of brainwave one morning in the shower to (laughs) was to say okay what about a charity if I set a charity up that 
could work. I knew there was many charities um, that you know worked alongside maternity services and other areas of the hospital um, and I knew there could be a sort of a seamless referral pathway into charities if they were delivering the right thing so I thought yeah and this is what I need to do I'll um, I'll set up a charity I'll um, get funding somehow and I will continue to do the work that way and that's that was the birth of petals Wow, that, that's an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That's, that's really fantastic. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you to clarify before we get into kind of some of the specialist baby loss support is the difference between counselling and other forms of therapy. Because I think after you've lost a baby and you're in this kind of completely overwhelming grief bubble, it can be really hard to know what type mm. of support you need. And I know from my personal experience I wasn't really aware of the difference between the two and when I tried to sort of access mental health support in my area they they kind of asked me what support I wanted and I didn't really know how to answer that question at the time so could you just explain the difference between counselling and therapy and when and how each type of support might be helpful? It's a good question. I think this this is um, relevant to every area of therapy and counselling, to be honest. I think uh, the vast majority of people don't know the differences. Uh, and to be honest, a lot of the time, the, the people delivering the services don't really know the differences either. <laughs> you know, it, it's a real minefield. Um, but I can certainly give you what my interpretation of it is. And, uh, you know, as I say, I'm trained as a counsellor. And for me, counselling is very much about, it's, it's, it's about the relationship between the counsellor and the client, um, whether that's a couple or whether that's an individual. And it's about getting alongside them in their story, in their journey, and being almost like the third eye that says, okay, this, you know, I, I can really understand what that feels like. And then this is what this is what we need to work on. Um, so using experience, using expertise and knowledge to guide to guide those people through through their journey of grief, of trauma, of whatever it may be. Um, but the, 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 what sits at the heart of it is the relationship between the counsellor and, and the client, because the richer and the more connected that relationship is, the more beneficial the, the therapy will, the counselling will be. Now, there's many other, as you say, therapies out there, Um, certainly within the NHS, um, a lot of therapies that are provided are CBT based. um, And there will be other sort of mental health support um, services that are available. These tend to be um, more clinical in in their nature, they tend to work with um, um, kind of assessing assessing the need and and kind of giving a diagnosis, a psychological diagnosis, and then then deciding what type of therapy, what treatment effectively to give um, that that individual or that that couple. Um, And it is very much sort of based on um, adapting thoughts and behaviours to to cope with a situation. Um, so broadly speaking, if we're looking at psychotherapy, that that's the that, those are the two kind of key areas that are worked on. There is a third area um, which um, is a more traditional psychotherapeutic route, which looks much more at um, the the background of the individual. So particularly when you're work, working with loss and grief um, 
you would be focusing on previous losses, um, the experience of loss and, and, um, and how that's been managed for that individual and making links with the current, the current loss. So that's often a more long-term therapy um, and it's about sort of helping that individual generally kind of understand um, why they behave in a particular way and, 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 and adapting their behaviours and their, their thoughts and feelings. Uh, and does that have a particular name? Because they all have names and taglines. <laughs> So that the, the the model that model of therapy is psychodynamic, um, okay. and um, it is it is a, or or psychoanalytical that that type of thing. So it, it it's very much sort of based in the foundations of therapy, which was the the Freudian sort of based therapy. Mm. Yeah, because I I remember and and obviously sometimes you know you may have counselling followed by different therapies at a later date and that can kind of overlap and we'll come on to talk yes. a, a bit about that but I remember just you know being told this what sort of therapy do you want and going on and seeing this whole googling and seeing this massive list of terms and going I don't know I'm just really sad and depressed yes. <laughs> yes. and yeah it, it is so hard I think <laughs> it's <is> really <laughs> difficult and but you know I think that is why I think what we do what the way I've structured the model that we work with in petals is that, that that's been so important, and we, we we're terming it a specialist counselling service because the model has been structured to meet the needs of this client group, um, and that I have developed personally myself um, based on my experience of working with hundreds of, of, of parents through this journey. Um, and it's a combination of, 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 of many things, to be honest, um, but one that we can evidence fairly clearly is effective. Yeah, and I think I think that's so important because there is, it's kind of important to understand this difference between grief and sort of and mental health conditions yes. because a lot of the symptoms can be the same and particularly when you're grieving in those early months it's it can be hard to tell what is grief and what is perhaps something more serious so could you perhaps talk a bit about some of the common feelings that people may have after they've lost a baby whether that's during pregnancy or after birth and th those feelings which we're not used to because we've never experienced before and we might be almost worried about feeling those things but are actually just part and parcel of grief yeah it's it, unfortunately it's not as simple as grief and I think that's the big problem the mis and the big misunderstanding in this field that's that has been my experience and I think that's what what I saw once I really started to do this work trauma is a big part of this um, and I think up until quite recently, people weren't really recognising that and people were always just referring to this as grief. Now, of course, grief is a massive part of it because it is, um, you know, gr what is gr grief is basically about loss. And this is probably the biggest loss that any individual is going to experience in their life. But it is the circumstances under which that loss occurs that is is significant here and is important to address and that and those circumstances most of the time are traumatic and they're traumatic because because women couples are just not prepared not prepared in any way for these outcomes um, and that I think is the thing that I found most shocking really I think myself when I came into this work that 
a woman who may come into the hospital with reduced movements and she'll come in because she's been told to um, and she'll be worried. But there is nothing within her that is really thinking that, that she's going to be told that that baby has died. And that, I think, is just, just, you know, devastating. So in that moment when that woman has her, the scan put on and, 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 you know, they all say the same thing. They know. They know in an instant because it just, you know, everything's different about a scan. Once the once the baby's not alive, um, and they're everything, they're hyper vigilant then for everything that's happening in that moment, to, for what the the clinician says, the way they look, their movements, the way the scans, everything. They're just waiting, and it's it's like you know everything goes in slow motion as the the words are then delivered that says I'm I'm so sorry, but your your baby has died, or whatever those words may be. Now, in that moment, everything changes for, for that woman and, and that man um, because the whole trajectory of their life has changed um, and it's been shattered, basically. Um, and, and everyone, you know, re- reacts and responds differently to that. But the, the, the impact is, is, is the same, that it just, you know, life stops um, and so it means that then what comes next is, well, who knows what, who knows how they're going to actually respond to what comes next um, because they've gone into an altered state psychologically. They've mm-hmm. gone into shock. They've gone into trauma. And I think that's missed by health professionals. You know, that they've got a job to do. It's, there isn't a health professional on this earth who themselves doesn't feel, you know, a shot of pain when they deliver that news. Um, so they're dealing with their own emotions and then they've got to see this couple through, you know, the next part of this journey, which is, is just, you know, just awful. So yeah, that whole experience is experienced um, by a woman by a couple in a in a haze in a fog, um, and so the sadness, the the the, the despair, the, the the kind of heartbreak, all of those things that are part of grief um, and that are obviously going to come, that, that they kind of don't come immediately, or they may come in little bursts and then they and then they go again, because the the brain basically can't process all of that. Um, at that time yeah I agree with that I mean that that was my experience I think and I very much went into kind of practical action mode okay this is a crisis this is what we need to do over the next few days you know this is how I kind of this is what I need to do for a birth which I was in nowhere hadn't even thought about birth because I'm six months pregnant and not expecting to you know have to go into labor you know we just need to get through this time and yes you know we were crying a lot and we were grieving a lot but I think you know that whole period we were in shock and as you said that that was our response and I think also the kind of it's not just that one moment of trauma there are other kind of bits and pieces throughout that so you know my I think you know pretty much 
you know, any midwife would say that, you know, my my sort of induction and birth experience was about as straightforward pretty much as you can get. I had to have a, a placental removal afterwards, which was not fun. But, you know, the actual birthing, but I had, you know, there were very specific things about that experience related to the fact that my, you know, my baby was dead that that have caused me a lot of of trauma and have been kind of the focus of of my trauma for that and I I imagine that that's different for everyone and that perhaps only comes out later on yes absolutely I mean I think so one of the things that we do in 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 our counseling is we will be when you know we're, we're talking through events which we do of course with with our clients is to to try and identify those points of trauma because I think that's very important if we can identify them then we can work with them and we can help help the client to to kind of release them almost because that's what needs to happen that each each of those what I call pockets of trauma becomes a blockage almost in in processing it it stops you being able to fully um, give way and give into your grief um, because it's what sits at the forefront of your mind. Each one of those little moments is, is, and it's where you go to, isn't it? When you think, you know, in the middle of the night when you wake up, it's one of those moments that is triggered in your mind. Mm-hmm. And what, what are some of the techniques that you use and work with couples to to help them, kind of, I guess, face that that trauma and and begin to accept it. It's we it's a very gentle process that we we work with. And it is it's kind of based around sort of debriefing techniques, but um, it, it's not as sort of brutal as that, really. It's we we spend a lot of time talking about the experience. So we so we will um, in our in our initial session with with clients, we will ask them to tell us what's happened to them. And, you know, for some people, they will want to tell us every single detail at that point, And for others, they will just skip through it and you know, after the first five minutes that it's like, okay, right, <laughs> that's, that's done then. Uh, <laughs> but every, everyone's different. So, so we, what we try to do is to get as clear a picture as we can early on of what's happened, but without going into too much detail. And, and we try to keep it so that the client doesn't get too caught up in their emotions as they tell us that initial story. We want sort of almost like a factual um, description of what's happened and then as the sessions progress and, and dependent on how well the couple are coping and how well they're talking to each other talking to the counsellor uh, we will start to sort of prod away a bit more at that story and sort of say let's just look at this part that, that, that today let's, let's just kind of talk about what happened in the delivery unit delivery room again that sort of thing and we'll just try and gently keep taking them back into it and through doing that particularly if we get it get you know get that timing right it it can be really sort of liberating in a way I think what we find is clients can really connect with the experience um, and and suddenly remember things that they hadn't they hadn't remembered at all, they're completely forgotten. It's really good if you can do it with a couple because they'll be remembering different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and to bring that together, um, it really sort of can free up that, that, that constant, you know, sort of rewinding of events and, um, and the, the client can let it go. So, yeah, it's depending on the depth of the trauma, 
depends on how quickly we can do that and how effective it is. There are always some clients that actually that technique, that way of working doesn't, isn't enough. Um, they need something more than that. And, uh, you know, we try, we try to sort of, you know, mm-hmm. support that too. And I think sort of link, I guess, link to the trauma and, yeah, and, and link to that kind of, um, that sort of impossibility of th- this thing happening. I think there's also a lot of quite dark emotions that go alongside baby loss. And I think the the sort of two which are kind of linked, which, which bring to mind to me are guilt and shame, which I think are, you know, both things that, you know, I felt very strongly and I think you know other parents particularly mothers perhaps feel very strongly you know why didn't I know you know my baby was in trouble you know it was my job to kind of protect them um and 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 I personally think that this whole notion of baby loss and the the kind of historic shame around pregnancy and baby loss which you know is has been broken to a huge extent sort of in our country over the last couple of decades but I think there are there are still some things there and it can you know it can be a comment from someone that kind of triggers that um, and I think that does filter into how people feel about it as well how do, do you find that those those things come up a lot when you're when you're talking to parents and how do you help them kind of face those emotions which we 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 try to push down a lot of the time and and don't want to kind of let to the surface yeah it's 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 a constant theme a constant theme in fact I can't think of probably a client I've worked with whether it it isn't present in some in some degree or another and I think it's 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 kind of a natural act and this this is the one of the ways we work with it We, we normalize that so we we acknowledge that actually that is a normal feeling to have that to to feel responsible to feel guilty to feel ashamed all of those things are really normal with this this experience I mean I think that sense of responsibility for a mother um, is is part of being a mother that's part that is the maternal instinct basically you know I, I I think any woman knows any mother knows that feeling when her child is hurt she's going to feel like she should have done something about it and could have stopped it whatever happened and wherever they are that's 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 a natural response so I think that's that's often the first way that we tackle this sort of say of course you feel that because you know you're you're a mother you're a mother now and that's a natural response for a mother and that in itself can really help parents um, to feel that like yeah because again I mean that that is a massive thing as well for for a bereaved mother um, particularly if it's her first child like she doesn't know whether she's a mother or not so so anything that we can say that help really helps her to sort of feel um, that and she can be identified as a mother um, is, is helpful I think in the therapeutic um, setting um, but we do we work with grief and loss a lot and uh, sorry not grief and loss I mean uh, guilt and shame a lot and we challenge it we, we try to challenge it head on um, because it's I always say to people it's a it's a natural place to go but it's actually a blind alley you know it's it's not going to take you anywhere going down that path it's going to just hold you in a space that is pretty unhealthy to be you know and you're and if you stay in that place of feeling guilty and responsible you're actually not going to properly process this 
it's just a sort of a default position to go to that leaves you stuck. So let's not do that. Let's just put that to one side for a moment and let's look at what really happened. Let's, let's really face actually what did happen and, and what you might have been able to do or not do. Um, and let's really sort of strip this apart. Um, and as long as we can get clients to come along with us on that, then I think it's quite effective. There will always be some who won't. There will always be some who just need to stay stuck with that sense of guilt um, because it's it, it's a maybe a familiar place to them. If maybe they felt guilty about stuff all their lives or it may just be a way of avoiding their pain because actually the pain of grief is something different. And I think, yeah, and I think sometimes it's maybe also a question of timing and kind of where you are in that grief journey. And, you know, I know I was kind of stuck in that. It's, it's taken me, a, you know, a long time to kind of get myself out of that yeah. guilt and shame. And, there, yeah. you know, there are still some, you know, you have a bad day or something triggers you and you feel, and there are still some times when I go back into that and, um you know, so I think, you know, sometimes in those early days, actually, it's you can't pick yourself up out of that because you're just not ready to do that yet. Um, so sometimes that has to come a bit further down the line. Yes. Yes. And I, I agree. I think, you know, everyone has to do that in their own time and, and has to feel ready for it. But I think it's it's if, if um, a therapist is is basically saying, look, you know, that isn't real. That is, that might be where you've gone with it, but it's not, not the truth here. It's not real. Mm-hmm. I think that can be helpful. Um, yeah, that external validation. Yes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, you know, as, as you've just explained, um, grief does involve trauma. So, you know, PTSD, anxiety and depression often come up at times what I guess you provide more of a, a sort of holistic service, but what are the, some of the signs to you that there is perhaps a more serious situation with a client who which which perhaps needs some alternative type of support? Um, and when when might people might need to to sort of seek that additional support? It's it manifests in many different ways. I think. Um, I mean, we. Risk, risk is right at the heart of um, what we're doing. So we're, we're we're assessing all of our clients right at the start um, to, to 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 gauge where they are psychologically, and if there's anything that flags up as a risk, so so you know suicidal thoughts, um, self harm, things like that, then we are we're on it. You know we're kind of really looking at what really uh, you know what risk this this client is in. Um, and so at that point, we every every counsellor, um, our sort of management structure within the counselling services always filters that back up the line so that discussions can be had to make sure the right things are done. And most of the time, um, if if there's if we see risk, that we'll be linking in with GPs um, and and making sure they're aware of our concerns for that client. And if if there's this very serious risk, then then we will sort of contact emergency mental health teams um, to to deal with that but that rarely rarely happens to be honest Um, so but in terms of the um, as you say anxiety 
depression. I mean, it's and and post traumatic stress. It's it's all it's all part of what we're working with. It's you know different levels of that are present in the majority of cases. I mean, and for some cases that we're working with, you know, we can be working with deeply, deeply distressed and, um, you know, clients who aren't really functioning, you know, who mm-hmm. are, are struggling to mm-hmm. sort of get out of bed, aren't, aren't going out, aren't getting dressed in the morning, you know, really, really are in very, very dark places. Um, and what we try to do is to encourage them to, to keep connecting with us. Um, it's been an interesting experience, actually, um, through lockdown in, in shifting everything over onto Zoom counselling, because actually what we found is that um, we are more accessible that way. Um, we don't experience so many um, DNAs, people not attending appointments, because, you know, they've just got to switch their computer on. And so in some ways, we're, we're getting to see more of that. Those, those people who might not have made it to a session mm-hmm. are connecting with us. Um, and... And it's 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 really important that they do. But one of the things that I always say to my, our counsellors when I'm training them is it is really important that you hold these people, that you aren't alarmed, aren't too alarmed by where they are, um, that that it's okay for somebody to be in you know in a mentally very distressed place. And as long as you're not concerned about, yeah, their um, their risk of suicide or, or self-harm, then it's okay. We can work with them and we can engage with them. Um, because I, I, I do believe that the nature of our model and, and, and the way we connect with our clients, you know, I, I think, we, you know, we, we probably can offer them, you know, the best support that they're going to get anywhere. Um, if they need... Um, sort of pharmacological support if they need need medication then of course that's where we link in with the GP and try to Mm. ensure that they get that but again we're working in collaboration with the health professionals for that rather than just passing them over yeah and I think you know I think you could speak to pretty much every bereaved parent or certainly most of the people I've spoken to and you know people will whether they want to admit it or not they, they will have had times where they thought I I can't live with this. Yeah. I, you know, I can't live with this grief and these feelings. And obviously, yeah. that's very different from actually, you know, being in that place to to take action about that. And but it's still a really hard thing. I think there is also, again, in our society, this this kind of stigma around mental health. And and one of the things that I find quite, quite difficult is that. So, for example, if you have lost your child. And, you know, I went through some therapy. I was I was prescribed antidepressants, although I never actually took them. But that is on my medical record. So, for example, if I'm applying for life insurance, I have to declare that I've had this mental health problem, whereas actually I was distraught and grieving the death of my daughter. And so I think it can have this really kind of actually quite a long-term effect. And some people might be you know, quite afraid of, of that and what the other implications are, you know, is it going to affect their employment or, you know, all that, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, uh, so it's it, difficult. It is. It, that's very real. I mean, as I say, we complete a psychological assessment with each of our clients at the start of their therapy. And yeah, many times we've, we've had um, clients who say, 
you know, what is happening with this information? They're very worried. What is happening with this information? Where is it going? Who's going to see it? You know, I mean, it, it's completely, it stays, you know, within within our setting only. It's not shared with anybody. So it's fine. But yes, the, 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 there's clear anxiety about that. And 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 I think it must mean that it, that's an obstacle. That's an obstacle for people mm-hmm. accessing support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I and I don't. I mean, I'm not sure there's really a solution to that either, yeah. because you know that 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 is the way our society works at, at the moment. It, you know, there are labels put to things, yeah. and and that's how it is. So, when do you typically get people coming to you for support? Is it usually in those early weeks or months, or do you get people coming back sort of years later after after a loss? Well, the service has been set up so that we are supporting um, we will take um, clients referrals within a year of of their Mm -hmm. loss so the there's there's a couple of reasons for that one of them is quite simply down to numbers and funding that um, Mm -hmm. we have to we have to kind of put some sort of restriction on it otherwise we would be completely inundated Um, but the other reason probably more important reason is that I think that our therapy model is structured to be working with the immediacy of the the loss and the trauma. It, it, it's very and so it's going to be at its its optimum um, shortly after the loss. Now, um, a lot of our referrals come via um, health professionals, via midwives, bereavement midwives, and they will pass um, clients on to us very often. You know, as they are leaving the hospital, so immediately, you know, days after their loss. Um, and what we find is for some, they will want to engage with us straight away. They will want to, you know, us to pick up the care as as, they, it's, as they've moved out of the hospital. Um, and that, you know, that's fine. We can do that. Um, but I would say the optimum time to engage with Petal's model is probably six to eight weeks after after the loss. So it's at that point where life starts to just um, become a bit more normal. Well, if that's the right word, but, you know, mm-hmm. once once funerals have been done, um, uh, there's been a sort of a physical recovery that everyone knows and has kind of got used to to, to this, this um, situation. And when parents are thinking about return to work or return to some sort of, you know, normal life, that's the time, I think, when it's most helpful to come in, into our service um, because it's that transition that's probably the hardest. Yeah, I would, I totally agree with that. And I think it's also that kind of point where those kind of constant messages and checking on you from friends and families kind of dies down and stops because, you know, those people are getting back to their normal life. And I, I know from my experience, and I've, I've spoken to a couple of people that are similar, I actually found that three to four month period really hard. I mean, that was my real um kind of crunch points um yeah once we've got and I had a couple of other things that kind of that that actually probably pushed that kind of six to eight week period back for various um various reasons because of other stuff that was that was kind of going on in my life um yeah so I I, yeah I definitely Mm. definitely agree with that and what changes have you seen with parents or couples who've been through petals counseling or what have people told you that's helped them the most for from going through it it varies it varies but I think the the general experience uh, or the general outcome that our clients will report 
is this sense of hope again, hope for the future. Um, and, and, and that's kind of the focus of, of, of our model really is to, to, to work towards that with, with parents. It's because at the start of the work, um, it's what we find is parents come into us, they're, they're just in a, in a muddle. It's, it's, it's life has literally been shaken, it's been shaken up and put back down again and nobody knows where's up basically. Um, and so what we aim to do is slowly through the sessions is to sort of just sort everything out really. Um, and as, as you, what we tend to find is, is you just kind of get through the sessions, maybe session four, session five, and just there's a clearing that starts to emerge. You know, there's, there, there is that sort of pathway into the future that starts to become visible. Um, and, and the hope comes with that. So we, we find that suddenly there's the willingness to, to start to think about another pregnancy. Um, yeah. And that's a possibility. Um, and, the, and, and some perspective starts to sort of drift in that, yes, this has been the most devastating experience of our lives and probably will always be the most devastating experience of our lives. But we have survived this and we're coming out the other side and we're okay. And, you know, and we've learned so much. I mean, this is this is constantly mm. being fed back to us from our clients that they say, gosh, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, <laughs> I've learned so much about, about my partner. I've learned so much about our relationship and what being in a healthy relationship is about. I've realized that I have a resilience that I, I didn't even know I needed. Um, it's these sorts of things. And one of the ways I often sum it up is that in the space of those six counseling sessions or maybe slightly more, uh, I think there's a kind of maturing for our clients, which is probably fast forwards them almost like ten years in in their their life experience, um, and that to me is you know, you know that's that's a very very rich and valuable thing to to be able to 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 provide for people. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it would be wonderful if you could support everyone everywhere. But realistically, there's a limit as to you know how many people you can support, where you can offer that support. So. If someone's listening to this, they, they feel like they do want to access counselling or other mental health support in their local area. How would you advise they go about finding the right support for them? Oh, my goodness. Um, it's, it's, it's a minefield. It really is. And I, I, I am so That's sorry. why I'm asking you the question. <laughs> I, it's, I'm so, I, I, I wish I could say differently. I mean, the, there is a glimmer of hope, okay? Um, I was in a meeting only recently, which is... Um, and NHS services are starting to develop across the country. I think that they're calling them outreach clinics, or they may have given them a new name now, I can't remember. But it is basically a perinatal mental health support service to work with maternity. So it is about helping women, and it's only for women, it's not for couples, Mm -hmm. but helping women recover from trauma that they may have experienced um, through maternity. So you know, there's hope that services are slowly creeping out there. How accessible they'll be, I'm not sure. I mean, they're supposed to be. We're being told they will be, but I, you know, 
I've been around the NHS too long to trust that. <laughs> I've also seen some of the budgets they've put to it, and I just think you're not going to do very much with that. Um, but anyway, that's another story. Um, but yes, so the there should be services developing. And I would say to anyone, talk to your GP because they are going to be the best person to signpost you to services in your local area. But I would also say that, yes, we can't be everywhere, but we are trying to be. Um, And since lockdown, as I say, we put all of our work onto Zoom counselling now with great success. Um, You know, the feedback we're getting is incredibly good and the results are also equally good. And it means we are no longer restricted geographically to the areas that we were in. We can actually stretch um, across the country much more easily. And we are doing that. So for the so for the inquiries that we are getting um, from, you know, via email from anywhere, if we can, we are seeing them. And particularly what what we're trying to do is ensure that those those cases that come through, which are particularly traumatic and devastating that we we can support them so we're trying to do that we're also um, recruiting a lot more counsellors in the next few weeks so that we can can cover um, more people and we are doing all sorts of different things to try and get some money to make sure we can sort of um, sustain that service so it is always worth trying us we may not be able to say yes but we will, you know, we will, if we can't, we will try and help you find someone who can help you. Mm, that's really fantastic. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. And I think also just to add from my experience, yes, it's, you know, it's worth going to your GP and stuff, but, but actually it's worth doing a bit of research or hitting Google or whatever yourself. Because, um, so I was referred to, I think it's like my wellbeing college. So it's a, it's kind of the local sort of mental health support uh, NHS pathway. Um, However, I I live very close to the border with a different local authority area. And in that local authority area, an NHS trust area, there is actually um, a charity who offers specialist baby loss, you know, counselling and bereavement support. And I had no idea that it existed until I met someone at a SANS meeting who had been supported by them. So I think there are also perhaps other charities around the country or other sources of support that are there, but sometimes you have to seek them out. And I guess, you know, sometimes it might be that the, the bereavement midwife or someone at your hospital refers you to them, but Again, if you're if they if they haven't been given the leaflets to hand, you know, to put in the bereavement suite, or you know, they're not aware of it, then they they might not be able to do that. So, um, yeah. So I think it it is also it's also worth doing your kind of own research and stuff around that. I agree absolutely. And could I ask who that that charity is? Because we will definitely try and contact them so we know. Who so they I are. think it's Charlie's Angels. It's in Leeds. Okay. So it's a Leeds-based charity. Um, I think I've heard of them now you say it yeah yeah and my friend certainly uh, found found them really supportive and and helpful as well and yeah and I think you know in retrospect I think it would have been more helpful for me to have gone to them first you know looking back with the benefit of hindsight and and all of that Um, but yeah but I had no idea that they even existed (laughs) until a few months ago um Okay, and we're we're sort of running out of time, but finally, I wondered if you had any suggestions for how 
parents can help each other or how friends and family can support bereaved parents in a kind of, I guess, a non-professional setting to help them through their grief journey? Um, It's a question I'm asked a lot, actually. And um, my answer is always the same, that we have to talk, you know, quite simply, we have to talk about this. And I think any bereaved parent wants to talk about their baby, wants to be asked about their baby, maybe wants to be asked about the birth experience, all of the all of these things, it, it matters. It, this, this, this child's life matters. And for that parent, it is so important that the people around them acknowledge that. So talk about it. Um, and, and don't be afraid, don't be afraid to do that. Um, one of the terms that we use the way, the way we talk about this in our therapy sessions is to walk towards invite people to walk towards the parent and the loss rather than withdraw pull away from them which is what mm. so many people do instinctively because they, they they can't face the pain and the grief of it um so yeah just think about that to walk towards and to, to be interested and engaged and talk about it that's the best gift you can give a brief parent yeah, thank you. And I think um, I had a whole episode recently where we were talking, I was talking to my guest about her No Words campaign, which was around talking um, about baby loss and grief. And I think that was that was definitely the thing we came to is that, you know, even if you're scared about what, what to say or what not to say about saying the wrong thing, actually saying nothing is just as bad as exactly. saying the wrong thing and, and not doing anything. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for coming and talking with me today and sharing your words of wisdom. Could you finish by telling people how they can find out more about Petals, how they can support the charity or access support if they need it? Thank you. Yes. Um, Our website is the best way to contact Petals. So it's um, petalscharity.org. It's recently been um, updated. So all the information on there I know is is, is up to date. Um, there's a lot of information about what we do and, and the impact of our work. Also information about how you can support us with donations or, um, you know, taking part in events to raise money for petals. And also it's very clear how to refer yourself to us or how to contact us. So please do petalscharity.org. And is it a self-referral scheme or do they need to or do people need to go through their sort of bereavement midwife or GP? It's it can be either. Um, and, and so I would say if you're not sure, just contact us yourself. And mm-hmm. then if we need you to, to get a, a referral from a health professional, we will tell you and we will tell you how to do that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for talking, me to, talking with me today, Karen. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, Alison. <laughs> you for listening to this episode of footprints on our hearts please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on itunes you can follow me on instagram at footprints on our hearts and twitter at skies footprints for detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for tommies please visit our website footprintsonourhearts.com <laughs>